All right, Luke, how's it going, man? Ah, it's been a hell of a week, man. Hell of a week, yeah. I've had a pretty crazy year. So, uh, crazy year. <laughs> well, it's been like two weeks in this year. Um, 2016, you you took away Bowie, Alan Rickman, and the Bengals playoffs hope. I hate you. All right, so I got some stuff that I want to talk about, and you got some stuff you want to talk about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some stuff, okay? Okay. And then I want you to give me as concise an answer as possible. You have no idea what I'm going to ask you. Okay. Okay, so you ready for this? Let's do it. Okay, so I don't care about sports ball, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, the famous line of Merlin Mann. Someone asked him, why don't you care about sports? And he says, I don't know, but ever since Nuremberg, large crowds and arenas all chanting the same thing makes me nervous. <laughs> um, so what happened to the Bengals? It was the worst thing ever. Okay, so a little bit of backstory. I am a huge Bengals fan, have been my entire life. Um, and it is, I have a lot of great friends, a lot of amazing ex-girlfriends, uh, I worked for a bit right outside of Pittsburgh. I this is have... the quick version, ladies and gentlemen. I this know, is the quick version. Talking this. about his ex-girlfriends. I love the say. <laughs> I love what you said. Concise. Um, I have a love-hate thing with uh, the city of, of Pittsburgh. Back in 2005, I was working at an Olive Garden while I was in college, and the Bengals went on a fantastic run. And in the first game of the playoff that year, they lost to the to the Steelers because our quarterback, my dear friend Carson Palmer, uh, he. A guy hit his guy hit his knee and it screwed up his ACL. First play of the game, I remember exactly where it was when it happened. One of the worst moments of my life, like top ten worst moment. Uh, hey, do you ever think it's weird that um, a corporation can contribute to the worst moment of your life? Shut up. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Listen, I fully understand what's happening. I'm cheering on a brand. I get it. Um, I am. I put my hopes and dreams in complete strangers. I get it. Uh, and, as long as you're self-aware. And so thus began, and it was kind of already boiling up to a point by then, but my absolute hatred of the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's a lot that goes into it. And so it's been 10 years of this crap. And there was a playoff game, a bunch of horrible, crazy stuff happened. And once again, the Bengals lost to the Steelers in the playoffs. And my life was awful i got so many text messages that night i was an asshole to one of our good friends and listeners i'm sorry justin <laughs> um, <laughs> i refused to, to respond to any of andy losneski's text text messages and at one point during uh, the game on my twitter feed and there's a lot of people from our show who follow us from my work i wrote <laughs> yep that's when i realized luke was having a bad day Meanwhile, I'm playing Minecraft and enjoying life. Yeah, that actually happened. I felt so bad. Like, once I kind of, like, realized, I I could not believe how I let myself go. I mean, I can't believe how much. I I was just, I was (laughs) shocked at how quickly it happened. Because I wasn't in a place where I was, like, angry. But I was shocked at how fast I got invested. Because I've even, like, kind of calmed down in in my NFL fandom if you will like there are other sports now that i find to be just as interesting and other teams that I, that i care about almost just as much and i was amazed at how i went from zero to 60 and stayed there for like i mean i got condolence text message from our friend jimmy ruth uh word a bunch of people being like man i'm so sorry this is horrible it was honestly so what, so what happened I mean, I, without it's it's actually really complicated. There were a bunch of fights during the game. There were a there were a in terms of the rules of the NFL, there were a lot of illegal things that happened on both sides. It was a very dirty game, very very dirty, and the Bengals almost won. And in about a minute and a half left, they had they had the game in the palm of their hand, and it all came crumbling down. Both to both due well due to both their own their own fault and some shady, shady crap by the Steelers. And it just, I could not believe how, like, I almost hit a point where I was like, is it a sin for me to be this invested, to act like this? You want my answer? I think it could quite possibly be. <laughs> I absolutely, I'm full, like, I'm, I, I believe I even confessed it during a confession this past week. You believe. You're not going to admit it. But you think well, so. I, I'll be honest, I, I don't remember. I'm kind of hoping I didn't skip over it by accident. 
<laughs> I hope Bless I me, Father, for I have sinned, for it's been so many decades since the Bengals have gone to the playoffs, and I need your help, Father, because I lost lost my shit. I'm saying they have not. The last time the Bengals had a playoff win, I was eight years old. <laughs> Nixon was in office. <laughs> <laughs> he was still alive. Uh huh. Uh-huh. We were just getting. Actually, I don't think Bill Clinton was even in office yet. <laughs> oh, that's tragic. So, do you want to ask me a question? Um, <laughs> so, am I supposed to ask you a? Am I supposed to ask you? I have no idea. I just okay. thought that was funny. No, I do, I do, and we have talked about this before. And I, and again, we have a lot of friends who do things like this, and I'm not trying to knock anyone down. You are very good at this. You are one of the few people that I would make an exception. To this, but do you think our church is in speaker overkill in terms of people having in coming in to give a talk? Do we talk at each other too much? Uh, it's the problem within the American church. While asking via podcast, that's pure yeah, audio. I'm, and I'm fully at yes. You're so Cap- self aware. You're so self aware. Yes, I'm very aware. But I feel like this is kind of different because this is way more. This is way more nuanced and we're able to, to go into things in a little bit of a different way and actually have a real a conversation, which is part of, and I, again, like I give, I've given yeah. a couple. No, so, I got you. I got you. And this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to say. Number one, we have a, um, I mean, it's a teacher culture, right? You, you want to teach people about the faith, teach people how to live the life. And so that involves actually talking to people and all that stuff and writing books and all that. So we create this celebrity kind of culture thing. And I'm not in that because I'm so, I mean, I'm not known anywhere, really, which is so sad. But um, (laughs) Hire me. Buy my book. Buy my book. But what ends up happening, inevitably, everywhere I go to talk, everywhere that has uh, like a big group or a reoccurring series or something like that, every Steubenville conference I speak at, the Ave Maria Youth Conference, every single one, when I speak at a youth conference, I'll have an adult come up to me. And they will say, how can I be a public speaker like you? Mm. And they don't mean like me in terms of my presentation style. They mean a guy who's up on the stage in front of, you know, two, three, five thousand people, whatever it is. And it happens all the time. And I tell people all the time, I said, don't. Like, how do you know, the is the Lord calling you to this? Or is it, just, I mean, there was none of that kind of. I don't know. And I don't think I'm special in the sense of like, ooh, well, Michael Gormley's telling other people not to give talks, but he gets to give talks. I mean, I'm saying that because there are tons of people that just want to be on a microphone, mm-hmm. and that's the wrong attitude, but that creates the speaker culture, right? Like, oh, you got to hear so-and-so, you got to hear so-and-so. Um, I think, I don't think we're talked out because I think talks are essential. I think that we are uh, uh, action-starved. And I think that we have speakers who are overcome by the green room effect than they are ministry. And what I mean by that is they would rather hang out in the back room with each other. Now, there are some times where that's unavoidable. Like you're trying to collect your head to go out and speak to 10,000 teenagers or whatever it is. And the, the reason why the green room, you know, this back room, they have waters and maybe a TV and some people and your fellow, is because you get burned out. People don't understand mm-hmm. traveling all the time. You get burned out. You do. Tomorrow, I, I just got off a plane yesterday. I worked all day long, gave my kids baths, put them to bed, did all this stuff, and I'm leaving. I have to leave my house at about 5 a.m. to make a flight to Minnesota in the middle of the winter. Thank you, Father Michael Schmitz. Um, <laughs> don't know why someone in Minnesota would plan a winter retreat. Um, but my flight leaves at 7 a.m. I have a connecting flight on my way to Minneapolis through Car- North Carolina. Oh, you're doing that thing. Although they have some nice rocking chairs in that airport. I'm not going to sit in a rocking chair. They're I have 40 minutes. I have 40 minutes between flights. If you have a if you have a free 5 minutes sit on that rocking chair. Yeah. I and I do see what you're saying like so I've heard this I've heard some people complain that a person like Matt Marr doesn't do as much hands-on ministry when he's at a studio conference. Could you imagine if he was on the floor all the time what would happen? Yeah, see, the problem is, imagine? for being, someone it, like him, there possible. is yeah, there is no ministry that can happen. It, he is at at real celebrity status, mm-hmm. where people are are like 
you know, a couple degrees off from like worshiping him, you know, like yeah. I see the way people rush him and he's like, okay, calm down, you know, and he loves the fans. Like, absolutely. I mean, it's not like I've talked to him recently. Hey Matt, what's your thought on the fans? But you see encourage that. Encourage him to come on the podcast, everyone. Encourage him. Yeah, no kidding, right? Go on. Social um, pressure. <laughs> but I, you just see it, and I see it with adults as much as I do, you know, like the stereotypical, you know, young teenage well, girl. Well, yeah, I mean, like, look at how people treated our buddy Mike, whose dad was a pretty big author slash Catholic teacher that everyone knows about. Um, think about how they treated him at school when they found out who his dad was. Yeah, you no know, kidding. that's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I remember the last time I was at a Matt Marvin. I think I probably told this story before, but he played a did a concert and gave a talk. And he people don't know this. Matt Mar is a phenomenal speaker. Like I would hire him if he didn't have such a, a sultry voice. Uh, I would hire him to give talks. Like he is up there with the best speakers, and he just does it from the heart. And he tends to be a little angry, which is awesome because you don't expect that from a guy that just your grace is enough. Now here's your problem, bitches. He never <laughs> says that. He never <laughs> says that. But um, but uh, I watched as I was at this conference, all these adults ran over to him. Smiling ear to ear, taking selfies with him, taking pictures with him, and so I waited in the back until he was wrapping up and, and putting away his cables and stuff. And they they had to physically send people out of the room, and so he was wrapping up real quick because he was about to leave. And I walked over there and I was like, Matt Mar, and he looked at me. He's like, Hey, Gomer, and I was like, Will you please take a picture of me? And he took a picture of me <laughs> with my phone, and I was like, That's Matt's thumb in my picture. <laughs> um. And, and he's I, a he's a good he's a good photographer. <laughs> good for him. He's really you know he should, he should really stop and think about doing a couple of weddings. Um, <laughs> it's 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 been the thing to do since two thousand six. <laughs> I um yeah and, and I get that and I I totally agree. I just think that we're in danger. Like earlier on, like uh, you talked about how it is essential, and I agree. But I, I don't know if I would use that language because I think we, I think, like, I really think the church has to scale back dramatically in certain ways. I mean, to the point where let's stop doing all of the theology on taps and just hang out in our homes and maybe have a speaker come to your house or something where it's like real honestly, because we're not going to evangelize anyone by having a speaker at a bar. I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, it does happen, but it's not. I, I don't know if I, I highly doubt that it happens. Do you want like, me to tell you stories of when I evangelized at a bar because I was the speaker on Theology on Tap? See, Luke, you know what your problem is? You haven't been to one of my Theology on Taps. <laughs> no, and I ladies and one... gentlemen listening out there, if you are slogging through yet another vocations talk on a Theology oh, on no, Tap. Oh, no, 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 please hire us to come and do a live podcast. We will absolutely <laughs> do it. <laughs> we will, but we have to be four beers in before it starts. Totally. You like how I said us when you were clearly trying to promote yourself. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can do a live podcast because I know I want another because I want a side job. I preach conversion, and you, I preach reversion. <laughs> I preach reversion. No. I, I, I preach de-evolution, devolution. I, I, I guess I just don't want to see us getting to a point to where it's like I can beatbox everyone. Like it doesn't work. Like that was what the Protestant culture was like in the uh, probably more in the in the late 80s early 90s where it's like crazy gimmicks stupid things and it just does it leads to i i don't think if that's our priority to just say hey have a kid or have an adult go to a great talk this is going to change everything we have already lost okay so uh it's funny that you say that because there are that's like things, right? Like the beatboxer, the mm -hmm. you know, and I I mean if they got a talent of beatboxing, that's that's cool. I'm not going to begrudge someone, but for me, honestly, one of my most formative things about being a speaker was reading the preface to the jeweler shop. Remember how you were going to buy me the book yeah, the Roman yeah, yeah. and you Listen, never it's did. Gonna, at some point, I had such great intentions. Oh, no, Luke, don't worry. I bought it for myself for my own birthday six <laughs> years later. So you don't have to worry your pretty little head about it. But in, in, the, pre in the preface to the jeweler shop, um, because the jeweler shop is weird. All of JP2's poetry is pretty weird. But um, they're like plays with a series of monologues. 
And it's incredibly boring if you've ever heard it. But the reason what that came from was when the Nazis occupied Poland, it was illegal to do Polish plays that celebrated, like, Polish nationalism, the Polish identity. Mm-hmm. And so he was, like, 19. He was – I don't know if he was in seminary. I think he was in and out of sem- – or not in and out, but either in seminary at the time. I think he was. But um, a clandestine seminary. Um, but he um, would do these plays where they could only put on a, an act at a time. And so they would distill it what they call the rhapsodic theater of the word. And it sounds so avant-garde jazzy. But he uh, – <laughs> Yeah, they would literally take a whole play, but distill it to its most essential core in the form of like one monologue and one actor would get up and do the monologue and act it out. And it was that's what they called the rhapsodic theater of the word. And that really stuck with me that um, because I love technology and, and if I need to use a keynote to drive home a point, I mean, I've used it plenty of times, but I prefer that when I speak, there's nothing else taking people's attention away. Right there's there's just the word that is being presented, right? And so whenever I get up there, um, like if people are expecting a spectacle, I will deliberately like sit down, like a sit down at the end of the stage, and turn it into a conversation. Or if people are expect, like I don't do that because I think I'm awesome. I just feel like there is a wrong energy in the room, and that comes from me w- watching and pretending to be a comedian. Right, they know how to like play a room and feed off the energy of the room. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like it's like, yeah, another speaker, yeah, another speaker. I love Jesus, yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And then I get up there, and my whole goal is, like, I think that's the wrong mindset to hear a talk about giving your life to Jesus Christ. And you're like, here's this epic talk. While you want me to just make you feel good and rah rah sis boom bah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we just feed that, we're feeding the wrong thing. And we're going to get the wrong response. We might get an emotional response right then and there. So, like, for instance, one of my most popular talks that I've gotten a lot of, like, feedback from at a Sumville conference was I gave the last talk on a Sunday. And I walked out. It was Denver um, of the Rockies. And uh, Sumville of the Rockies in Denver. And you can go online. Denver. It's, like, 20 minutes outside of Denver. But whatever. Go on. Yeah. Right. Well, it's in between the city and the airport. Denver. (laughs) It's by the airport, which isn't in Denver. Go on. (laughs) I hate you so much. Um, but anywho, so the whole I walked out there and I was essentially just like, if you're just here and you got an emotional high and that's what you expect is going to carry you, you're doing it wrong. And it was the, you know, and I was still my usual self who's hilarious. But <laughs> the whole point was, like, I'm trying to pour cold water on the things that need cold water poured on. And then I'm trying to stoke the furnace of the things that need that to be stoked. And so mm-hmm. it's a delicate balancing act. And I don't think I get it all the time. But... I do. I had someone who was very knowledgeable in these things walk up to me and say, I believe you have the charism of prophecy. And I looked at them and said, I do too. But I don't know if I do. But I feel like there's a way of hitting people. Even if you say the same thing over and over again, which every speaker has to do at some point, there's a way of hitting people in that crowd that you, you have to do it differently. But when you get in that speaker culture, you can tend to you know, you get people that specialize in certain things, and then they don't know how to talk about the fuller faith. They only know how to talk about theology of the body, which is what I'm talking about tomorrow. And I, I mean, and honestly, I am I I am not trying to play nice here. You have always been very good at it. You've always been very good at that. It, it was obvious even during the first part of our freshman year that oh, he's he's good at this. Like you could easily. Like, if you weren't in church work, you'd be doing a job that involved you having to speak in front of a group of people, whether it be teaching or whatever. You you have that. I think what I'm starting to see within my own ministry that I'm doing, and, and this is not with anyone that I that I work with or anything, but just things I've seen while being in um, in ministry and with within the within the American churches. I think there's a tendency to downplay the importance of what uh, Pope Paul VI would, call, you know, call that uh, we that are like a first witness should always be an authentic Christian life, as opposed to oh, I'll just have my kid go to this conference. You should read this book. Like, like we want this like quick fix, as opposed to owning the fact that the best way to eat to evangelize is by our own relationship with God. Like the best thing that I can do 
in my job is, and I think my uh, actual, I, I think it, I would even, I would even, I would actually, I, um, I would like to add this to my job description is I need to be the best Catholic that I can possibly be. That is, of, that is the most important thing that I could do in my work. And everything else will come from that. And I, and I kind of wish the church would change our mindset a bit about the importance. And I, again, I, I mean, I put on a conference, you know, so I'm not trying to, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to knock conferences, but I do want to, I, I am a little bit like weary of our priorities. Yeah. Yeah. A, am I off base? No, no. I mean, I think there's, a lot, there's a lot there, but yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then you, you see how that kind of culture reverberates down into the parish where, um, and I'm, this is where I'm totally guilty of it. Um, the RCIA is meant to be a process of discipleship and we turn it into classrooms because classrooms are manageable. You hit these many classes, you have this good enough attendance record. You seem to be alive during the class. Hey, guess what? You're Catholic now. Um, and just because someone can complete a course in a year doesn't mean that they should become Catholic or that they really even care to. And so that th- there are things like I began looking at all of our sacramental preparation stuff that I'm in charge of, which is RCIA um, for the unbaptized, for the baptized, and adult confirmation, and to structure it as discipleship classes. Now, right now, what that means is it's still the class part of discipleship. I don't have them walking with mentors yet, but I would love to assign a person a mentor outside of the sponsor role who can take them out for coffee and just talk to them about what it means to follow Christ, how to read scripture, how to pray, the basics of walking the Christian life. Have but don't implement. you think that yeah. that sh- that that is uh, the role of the sponsor, though, to be that like in America? Ideal. I would say n- ideally, absolutely. In reality, I'm going to ask my aunt because she's the only Catholic, or yeah. okay. you know, I'm going to ask my mother-in-law because yeah. that's going to make her happy or whatever it is. So, or my fiance, or you know, whoever. So many fiancés. So, so many fiancés. Fiancés. So what else? What else is going on? I got. I got something. Can I say it? Yeah. Go. You're next. Okay. So. Episcopalian Church, the Episcopal Church. Oh, yeah. People don't know this, but the Anglican Church is actually the Anglican Communion. Good day to you. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean by the Anglican Communion? The Anglican Communion is made up of about like 27 churches. Cheerio. That all look towards Canterbury as kind of the same, a similar way that the Orthodox churches look towards the Greek Orthodox patriarch. Jolly good. So he's not... (laughs) He's not the uh, head of the church like the Pope is, but what happens in Canterbury does not stay in Canterbury. It spreads out. Like, okay, so they're like the head of the church and all that stuff. And uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, so at the American Revolutionary War, they didn't want to belong to the Church of England and be ditching England. And so they, yeah, they call, (laughs) I hate you so much right now. (laughs) So they call it. um, It's a rapport, Gomer, a rapport. The kids love our humor. I know, right? Uh, so they call it Episcopalianism, and right now, the Episcopalian Church has a voice but no vote, so they're allowed to comment on things in the Anglican Communion, because the Anglican Communion is set up kind of like uh, Robert Rules of Order, and they have, they do a lot of voting on stuff, of course they do, it's all consensus for them. Um, (laughs) And so, what ended up happening is they, because of their wholesale embrace, pretty much as a denomination for gay marriage, the Anglican Church has essentially put them on timeout for three years. Whoa! For three years, yeah. No, no. I thought it was all the other way around. Like the Anglican Church was moving far left than even the Episcopal Church, but apparently that's not right. But the Anglican Church right now is on the verge of a complete fracture. Do you know who'd be good to ask about this? Is Auntie? Is she Anglican? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hi, Auntie. Sorry, we haven't mentioned you in a while. I I apologize. I blame Gomer. Yeah. I'd be curious Actually, we have mentioned you every episode, but I edit you out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, okay. So, I mean, but it's fascinating right now because when I did a, an ecumenism class, we invited a guy from the, I'm going to ruin this, but like the Cone movement. And they're like the conservative side of the Anglican communion. And they're connected with like, it's like a bishop in Pittsburgh, a, a couple bishops in Africa, and some in the South, South America, and like one guy in Europe. And they all formed a new communion, and they don't want to leave Anglicanism, but at the same time, they're not going to tolerate the whole scale thing, which is like women's ordination, gay marriage, the acceptance, the complete acceptance of 
homosexual coupling outside of gay marriage, all that stuff. It's fascinating. I mean, I, I never, I never saw this coming. No, I, I don't know enough about that world uh, besides this, the split that occurred during the Real Freedom War. So yeah, that is really, it's going to be really interesting to see how modern churches, especially Protestant ones that don't have a lot of, um, in a weird way, uh, checks and balances that we have yeah how they handle you know the postmodern world yeah it'll be really really interesting like and to see who does what and who aligns with who and and how they go about trying to explain that to people so because it's yeah. i was reading this one thing that talked about um how kids being born out of wedlock has increased dramatically over the past i think like 100 years and they're just they're showing all all of the countries and it's really interesting because you can see all of the ones who left whose culture really um abandoned how like all of the ones that quickly got rid of christendom how they are the ones that have that have that like those that um those out of wedlock births have they have all skyrocketed over over the past hundred years, or or something to that effect. So yeah, that is really interesting to see how they handle that. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I think it's going to be more important over the next couple hundred years for Christian churches to be. Um, united would be the wrong word, but um, cooperative. Yeah, because it's just going to get worse, I think. So, but I'm a negative Nancy. Yeah, I think. Um, well, so I hung out with a friend of ours who we have to have on the show to talk about faith and culture colliding. Is we have to have Adam on the show. Uh, <laughs> oh, Adam Arabazali. Yeah. Oh, I miss him. Literally, I hung out with him in in L.A. He lives in East L.A. I hung out with him, and the whole time I'm thinking, and this could be a show, and this could be a show, and this could be a show. Is he still like the so, – so in college, this guy was light years away cooler than anyone else. He I've, was either the nerdiest cool guy or the coolest nerd you've ever met. He could go he, back and forth between all of them. It was insane. His world was beyond our world. He met, uh, yeah, he, he was just, he's just awesome. And so uh, he was a philosophy theology major who taught himself computer programming in a semester and then went on to run the Flash website back in the day for Life Teen and then just built up all the skill set. And the guy is doing virtual reality software writing and, and cre- creating virtual reality experiences. And you can't call them games. You can't call them movies. It's this other thing. And I went to his house at midnight in the middle of this awesome conference and I put on uh I put on the VR headset and the mapped room he, he writes for the Vive um Valve Vive as opposed to the famous Oculus Rift with face, Facebook bot and man I can just tell you oh my god oh I <laughs> when I took the headset off I sighed cuz I was in the real world I was like Oh man! Do you think? Oh, that, that sounds so cool, but so dangerous. I know, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to create. He's like, just think about. Now he's not going to create this stuff now, but he's like, just think about how we can incorporate our faith in this new thing. And the whole time I was like, what if we created a realistic-looking Moses and the Burning Bush, where you could walk around the burning and see, and then yeah. watch like a movie play out in full 3D, like real 3D, not stupid glasses on your face that creates it. But you like with the Vive, with the Oculus Rift, you sit in a chair and you like look around. You got a, like a Xbox controller. Mm-hmm. With the Vive, you don't. You walk around. It maps your room and you walk around. That's, and it was oh my gosh! It was the craziest thing. Look, it was the craziest thing i have ever experienced and i have to tell you this quick story there was a whale and i honestly it so i I, go into this experience i'm on the bow of a sunken battleship from world war ii and i'm walking and i'm like oh like and i just treat it like a cool picture like i'm in the middle of a picture and so i'm looking around and then all of a sudden a school of fish go right by me and i'm like you want to just reach out and touch them they look so real i mean it kind of you know i mean it's a computer rendering but 
It looks so real. Yeah. And you feel there. And then I walked to the edge of the ship, and I locked my knees and hung over a railing of a ship that I'm just in this guy's living room. You know? I'm like, I don't need to lock my knees. I don't need to look over anything. But you are in it, right? And so I look back, or I look down, and it's like this abyss. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And then I look over, and I see this plane that's sunken in the water, a bomber. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I hear, and I turn back. And I see this massive blue whale, and it comes right up to me. And I, I, I step like five steps backwards because it scared the crap out of me. And then it stops right at the bow of the ship and looks at you. So I walk right up to it. And I'm like, I'm going to see if I can look into his eye. And it looked like a real eye. I'm that looking ins- at it. That's insane. It goes past me. I know. It swims past me, lifts up its huge tail, and swaps it right down. And it, it's like it, it feels like it's going to come on top of you. And I jumped back, and I, I was afraid. I All was, praise uh, our technological gods. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> just kidding, Lord. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just uh, kidding and everyone. so uh, th- that's all I want to talk about because I want to invite Adam out here. But literally after he invented this game where you have like this little spirit ghost um, gelatin thing and you play with it with this wand and it like comes alive. It re- like responds to you and you do like fun things with it. Like it was everything the Wii should have been. Wow. It was so immersive that literally after this fun little game, I took the headset off, and he needed to, like, recalibrate it. And I was like, oh, this place is here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, in your, I'm in your East L.A. apartment house thing. I thought I was in a magical, trippy world. <laughs> so it was, it was amazing. That's, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. Next topic. Germans. <laughs> Why? Which proves my theory. Germans love David Hasselhoff. That's not your theory. Okay. Yeah, as you're right, it's Norm MacDonald's theory. I love Norm MacDonald. You guessed it, Frank Stallone. All right, um, so I think I have anger issues. Dude, you you are going to ruin the name of layevangelist.com. <laughs> I'm so worried about that. <laughs> Why don't you just not comment? Okay, here's what I did. Okay, it was not linked to anything that you did at all. At all. Okay. All I did was go on a tour. I went on our Catholicism on Reddit and I said, we're about to have, I'm about to interview Shane Claiborne. Is there anything that anyone here would like me to ask? And this just freaking annoying human being just wrote like the most sarcastic comment about it. And it was little, it was, uh, and I said for our podcast, catching foxes with, which for some reason, some people on there don't like that's fine whatever and he was just started and he made a snide comment about shane claiborne and i got i was like dude that's not cool like why are you doing this and then he said then he then he said like something else i got really mad he said something else and then i what did he say what did he say he what basically was... was like he was mocking that that he was a new a monastic and that he didn't even try the old one and just and I was like and then he got he called me a coward because I wasn't gonna I wasn't going to grill him about that and I was just like you sound like a miserable person and I just and I don't know why I even I don't like I cannot I cannot this, this is honestly like a problem and I I wanted to talk about this because I think you know it's real easy, especially for guys, to talk about oh, like porn. But like, I don't think we ever talk about like sometimes anger. I think it's true with, with everyone. Can can really anger is a neutral emotion. Can be used for good, like Christ turning over all of the tables, or for bad, like me on Reddit. And I think it's gonna be a real. And I I I was just like, why am I so quick to get so angry? Because I was in a I was in a total. I was completely fine. I was excited. I was gonna interview Shane. On my lunch break, I was getting ready while all this was going on, and it just, like, it went from, like, zero to 60 again, and then I got banned. Sorry, and then I got, like, muted on there, and they said I got a message saying that I was banned for a week, and I, because, like, cause, because then he, like, um, he looked up our, our podcast, and and then he, like, said something, how do you put it? He goes, oh, yeah, this is great, like, pay, teach, challenge. And change. He saw the late evangelist thing. Yeah. And that's when I flipped the shit. Cause I was just like, you do not go after a person's ministry because you don't agree, you know? And I just like, I, and I was just like furious. And so 
of the moderators on there, they're like, listen, you're banned for a week. And I was like, well, this fucking asshole <laughs> and like, went off. And then I was completely banned. <laughs> now you're completely banned. Yeah, now I can't go on to our Reddit. I'm oh, sorry, to um, our okay. Catholicism on Reddit, which is fine because it's kind of a crappy thing anyways. But All right, ladies and gentlemen, everyone listening there in the audience, you got to do something here. You got to go on r slash Reddit, Catholicism on Reddit, the subreddit for Catholicism. You got to go on there and you got to advocate for catching foxes. <laughs> Actually, you don't because I don't care. Reddit was always like this. Hey, this is an awesome thing. And everyone would, was on it. But nothing seemed to be happening there except for like more angry conversations. Now, my one of my godsons uh, who converted last year asked me to be a sponsor. Totally cool guy. He's on that thing just rocking it left and right. Um, and that's where he learned a lot about, like, traditional liturgy, traditional mass, and all that stuff. Um, and I had to warn him about the crazies. And he's like, no, no one's crazy. We're just, it's just people who really love the traditional form of the mass and blah, blah, blah. And then we had another meeting, like, two or three months later, another lunch. And he's like, so I found the crazies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, there goes your, your, like, Catholic, you know, like, yay, Catholicism. Oh, no, these people are crazy. Um but yeah, uh, and I and I do do a very just so you are aware. I I really try to make sure that when I'm engaging people on there, they know it's me and not you. Because <laughs> that's that honestly is really important to me that they know that because because I know I can fly out the handle at times. Uh, like, are you what? <laughs> I know. Do you remember when I caused a huge fight in a flag football game? <laughs> oh gosh. That asshole was cheap. Was giving me cheap shots the whole game. I still remember that. At the end of it, pretty much, you mother. And I charged right at him. Yeah, Luke, you do have a temper. I do. I really. Such as the one time I suggested to you that maybe you shouldn't take a major which requires eighteen credit hours every semester, and you flipped out on me. I don't like being told what to do. I know that's true. That's true. It's not good. It's. I fully admit that. Like, I mean, I'm like in in. All seriousness, though, I do feel bad that I flipped out. I'm not. I think my anger was justified to the extent that it went. Absolutely not. I should not have said that to all of the moderators. I'm sorry. Um, I don't care to be submitted. I, I don't want to be back on there because honestly, like I, I use Reddit for a lot of uh, other stuff, and I think it is a very. It is the internet. It's complete trash, and it's incredibly amazing at the same time. So it's you. You get what you want out of it. Mm-hmm. it's a lot like money and you know and it, it really like it shows you who you are so i need so i definitely like that's one of the things that i know i was it was brought it was brought to my attention by a legionnaire priest that one of my root sins and this is blowing my mind right now is the sin of um of sensuality in the sense that like i tend to um i do i am very tempted by what feels good in the moment which can be a really good thing yeah so this is what i want to say about anger okay so anger is definitely neutral right it's neutral in the sense that you can be angered at a good thing or angered at a bad thing i think it was aristotle that said it's one thing to be angry at something but it's another thing to be angry at the right object for the right time at the right intensity. Oh, it's very hard. And, it's almost you know, a- well, it's virtuous. Like it requires actual virtue to do that. And so, one of the things that, um, you know, like Saint Paul says, you know, he didn't say don't be angry, but he says don't let the sun set on your anger. Like don't mm-hmm. live with that anger. But one of the things that I thank you for liking, liking my comment on Facebook. Um, thank you for commenting while I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the, I was actually looking for a quote, but one of the things, and then I got off on my ADD thing. Yeah, by the way, a listener said, I totally have ADD. And every single day when I lose my train of thought like I'm doing right now, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need medication. Um, so thank you, JD. Um, but, uh, oh, my God, I totally lost with it. No, but anger, anger, anger. Bring anger. it back to anger. So I want medication. One of the, now that I work with adults and they talk to me, they're, they're, like, open and honest with me about their brokenness and their marriage. Um, you'll hear things like, she just makes me so angry, or she just brings out the worst in me, or, or women will say that about their husbands and husbands or wives. And, uh, and I always tell them this wonderful thing that I heard from 
Andy Stanley, a North Point Community Church pastor, where he was talking about this, and he had like two cups, and he bumped them together, and he talks about like when you're angry, you start to get, ang- you bump into each other, and you get all angry, and he pokes a hole in it, and all these like little blue and pink beads spill out. Um, he says, I just want to point out one thing. What comes out of you is there because it was originally in you. Yep. And then people are like, I, like, I first when he said that, I was like, what is he talking about? And then I realized <laughs> what he was saying. You're an angry person. You're just around her all the time. And she has more opportunities to bring out what's in you. You know, I mean, sure, like you're around your employees and coworkers eight hours a day, ten hours a day. But you're not like next to them, talking to them all the time. And if you are, you still have huge barriers called professionalism and, you know, code of ethics within that. That all goes to shit when you go home. And you're already tired at the end of the day and, and you got kids and you just unload on each other. But that comes from you. And so my whole thing with this is anger is an irascible appetite. It's like the emotional overdrive. So even though it's neutral, it's already on the razor's edge, right? So it's not – I mean, it can propel you to do crazy things. And so if men – like we always say, like women, oh, they're so emotional – Right, but men are so emotional. We just have like names for like three of our emotions. I'm annoyed, I'm embarrassed, I'm angry, and then I'm other. Right, and I think that the the amount of rage that men have that never gets talked about, or you know, like we just think we're justified because we're angry because someone did something, but I don't mm-hmm. think that's true at all. I think that we totally give ourselves way too much leeway. Way too much angry when it comes to that stuff. So. You know who I, who um, I am pumped to hear talk about rage is Jeremy Irons, um, but really because the you know what I'm talking about. No. Oh come on, man! The Batman trailer. That's where it starts. The rage. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. but no, like you're absolutely right. Like I, I mean, there's a like. So I'm a nice guy. Everyone thinks that I'm a nice guy, and I think I'm a nice guy. I try to be a good person. Nope. But <laughs> you fail. Uh, but it is really like it's 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 been I can remember in high school there was for some reason I did not like my gym teacher. I don't remember why. I remember having dreams where I would just scream at him. And just I mean, just like scream at how how much he bothered me. And I, I, I can't I, again. I, this has been, you know, almost 20 years. So I, I don't remember why. But like, I, like, where does that even come from? You know, and that's something that I'm trying to wrestle with right now is like where like why do i jump so quickly during a game from calm to just like the most profane thing i could possibly say i mean and i'm not i don't i don't saying that like i want an answer now i mean it would be great to have that but it's 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 i do understand that it's a thing that i need to be aware of you know, and I and I need to pray about it. And I think that and I don't think that we need to become a bunch of wusses or anything, but I do think we need to like understand why it's there. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know, but it's it's been this has been a very eye opening week for me in a lot of ways. So, Luke, you're so broken. Yeah. You're so broken. So here's my question to you. Okay, how can you bring Christ in the middle of that? Like, I mean, think about the rage and the anger. What what mm-hmm. should you do when you get overwhelmed like this? The biggest thing that I've learned for me, and this is what, like, Aaron, so, it's even like this, honestly, I don't, I hardly ever engage on the internet that much with things that make me angry, but this week, and how, um, there's a guy in a, in, a, in, a, in a group, I think you're in it too, it is uh, Franciscans involved in evangelization. And he was saying that if we want to increase vocations, we must reject capitalism. And he was arguing that that's what John Paul II was trying to say. Some guy, I don't, we don't know him. And I like a, you, you don't have a life outside of me. You don't know him. <laughs> we don't know him. Okay, whatever. And I was just like, that's not like this isn't like you. I, I, I was pretty pissed off because like a lot of people our age, John Paul II is a hero of mine. I spent over half of my life with him as my pope and he's you know i saw him twice and he's he's a very important person and i just was like that's not i'm I'm not trying to say that john paul ii was like a captain moneybags a monopoly man advocate for capitalism but i don't think he also advocated for a complete rejection of that i think he was trying to say consumerism can be really really wrong 
<laughs> and so, but anyways, that is, and I just was like, what are you doing? And I was so tempted. I'm, honestly, I remember being in my car, just going, just tell him to F off. And I was like, but like all of our friends are in this group. My job, I can't do that. But I just wanted to, I just was like overcome with this urge. And so, I, and I think, and I was like telling Aaron about it. And she just went, why are you even engaging him? Just walk, what is the point of this? Just walk away. And I think that's where we can find Christ. Honestly, in a weird way of just being like, there's no, like, Chris, Christianity makes life more real. And I think we have a couple of options. One, we can try to, in, we can engage. And that has its, uh, that has its pros and cons. Or two, and I think this is the real interesting part here is we can understand that it's not that important and there are things that are more important in life and just walk away and cling to those things. So don't even like it, like when, when a dog is misbehaving, one of the things that you can do is just ignore that behavior. Uh, have you ever heard of the, there's like a native American story that kind of like correlates to, um, uh, Oh, what is it called? Um, original sin and concupiscence Mm-mm. he said uh within me i have within me i have two dogs that are fighting and uh they're constantly like fighting each other going back and forth and someone said um you know within his mind and someone said well then how do you decide who wins which one wins and he said the one i feed the most and i love th- i think that is an excellent like description of virtue yeah absolutely and and concupiscence because it's like literally you have lust, you have purity, right? Which one are you going to feed? You know, you have, in, you know, laziness and inactivity versus, you know, you know, whatever, being productive or whatever. Which one are you going to feed? Because you, you become the person, you know, the, the dog in the fight. You become the one that you do the most actions of, right? That's what virtue is, repeated action that becomes a habitude within you. It's not just muscle memory but it becomes a part of your your the very fabric of your personality and so it's like okay which one are you going to feed are you going to feed your anger so that's like you know how do we bring christ into the moment is knowing what set me off knowing number one more than that that he died for my sin of anger right knowing what sets me off and knowing when i have to walk away you know and sometimes you have to walk away from legitimate things not because they're illegitimate because of the person they make you right so mm-hmm. I used to be super into Catholic anti-war stuff. No. Yeah, right? And I, uh, I alienated <laughs> my wife because I would get so angry about, you know, all this stuff and try to talk to her about it. She's like, you know what? Could you just not talk all the time about it? And I was like, uh, people are dying. And she's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I gotta cook dinner, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and I should do the dishes. Okay. I remember one time we had a we had a conversation where for 30 minutes you were going on about Iraq and other stuff, and I was like, this is really interesting, but I don't know half of the things that he's talking about or the words that he is is using, and I'm completely lost. Mostly because I speak Arabic. <laughs> I was like, mm, oh yeah, you're right. Mm. All righty, I think we should wrap up here soon, but um, I want to talk about some uh real quick, like you know, 25 maybe five second things, not 20 second things. Um, Is there anything cool that you're watching right now? That I'm watching? uh, Oh, well, yeah, obviously. Everything that everyone is watching, Making a Murderer, got done with that, love it. Oh, my God. But you're funny. You watched that, and then you forgot the last episode? Is that what happened? Well, we, yeah, we got, like, probably, like, about a half hour in, and we were just like, oh, my gosh, this is just horrible. And so we stopped. And then I looked it all up on Wikipedia, and then we decided to finish it. So, but yeah. we watched it. Yeah, me and Shannon binge watched it. It's ten episodes, about an hour each, about the basically the case of Stephen Avery, who in 1985 was charged with sexual assault. He alleged he said that he didn't do it. Uh, it seemed like the sheriff's office had a grudge against him. Could be easily uh, argued. Yeah, yeah, easily, could be easily argued. argued. And then uh, he goes to jail for 17 years. 18 for years. Crime, 18 years for crime he didn't commit. Um, there was all this stuff that came out that pointed to someone else uh, over and over again while he was in prison, especially in like 1994, 95, and uh, in the middle of a sentence. He was eventually freed, one of the first people freed from, from DNA evidence retesting the case. And when he was, um, so he sued the police department, 
And then, oh, wouldn't you know it, before the lawsuit basically goes to trial, while people were in the middle of being deposed, a woman dies, and he, the sheriff say, oh, he did it. And there is so much within the whole thing that it's all, I mean, the trial was handled in a crazy way. The appeals that he had, the, the judge that heard the appeal was the same judge that heard the case. Uh, you know, like, it's just crazy. And it's, and then his, his cousin or nephew goes away who clearly has an IQ of like 60. Uh, That made me so as, as a person in education who has had to do a lot of work with students with special needs, that made me furious how they handled that. Yeah. I have a friend who does that. She does furious. Yeah. She does assessments and all that stuff and creates like learning plans and deals with kids who have a lot of like learning disabilities, special needs, the whole deal, autism spectrum, the whole deal. And uh, the whole time she, like, watching the interview, she was like, they're completely manipulating. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And I- I'm sure they didn't think they were. They were just trying to set it up. I don't think the cops thought they were being manipulative in the sense of I'm going to get them to say what I want. I think they were, like, to, to confess something false. I think they were thinking this kid needs to be prodded heavily in order to say what he needs to say. Yeah, like he's got what we need. And the I guess what – why – so the crazy part about this about this show, why it was so like why it I think has captured everyone's attention, or at least it did last week, um, <laughs> because now we're on the Powerball, was the fact that clearly you go back and forth between Diddy. Oh, I don't know. There's like after every episode, me and my wife would always go, I don't know, but like you know, we'd be so appalled at how things were mishandled but then you're like but i could kind of see maybe from this other side but clearly there's reasonable doubt up the ass and he was never he he was always presumed guilty by so many people yeah including the prosecutor like they didn't even interview the ex-boyfriend and the the male roommate and all this stuff but i just want to end on this note um what did you think about how they treated her the woman who was murdered Teresa hallbach how they treated her family you know from the documentary from the documentary. I think they could have been they 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 if this were a movie they're not the good guys. And that's a shame cuz they're the real victims and all. See, I didn't feel that way. So I binge watched it in I mean we basically saved the last episode for the third day, but I watched five episodes one day, five episodes <laughs> the next day, or four episodes the next day and then the last episode. And I felt like every time they showed them uh and it was usually the older Hallbach brother that would speak it it was totally relatable like as a person during the trial you think this guy's guilty the evidence seems to overwhelmingly point to him and it's just a bunch of lawyer tricks and all this stuff and every time he talked i don't think that they ever once took a quote that made him sound stupid or ridiculous or vindictive yeah yeah no i don't think so at all i i think the only thing that I, that I, I did not like was at the end he was talking about you know this just proved the kind of guy that he is and it and you could tell by what he was saying he was alluding to the idea that perhaps he did commit other rape that he was proven that he was found ultimately yeah. innocent of which is ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah. and know? all and the, so the detectives like all the police and the, or the sheriffs the police were totally different the sheriff were like i mean he I, I don't necessarily believe he was innocent of that crime. It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. It's you know, and it's hard because like I would probably be the exact same way if it was one of my sisters or worse. Exactly. And here's a crazy oh. thing. Crazy thing. So I'm talking to someone that I know, and um, I'm telling them about this program because it was it was literally um, after right after day two. I was can't, couldn't wait to get home from work to finish the last episode, and I'm like going on and on about it. And then I'm like, "Do you know about this?" And she, she says. Well, um, the murdered girl, uh, her dad is my husband's godfather. And I was like, okay, oh, oh. and we're done, and we're done. Oh, oh. I, this is crazy. And so I tell her a little bit about the, the thing, and she's like, yeah, the guy lives, the brother, he lives by you. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So the world just got a lot uh, Small. smaller and a lot more real. And this is not a video game. This is not virtual reality. I've taken off the headset. This is not <laughs> just a really good version of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Ooh, have, they, have they had that yet? Hey, really quick, what are you listening to? Uh, I have completely given up on music except for Iggy Azalea. And uh, I am listening to audiobooks, specifically 
the oh, what is it called? The Meaning of Marriage by Reverend Timothy Keller. Every person should own this book. I, I need to get that. I've been I am in love with uh, the song I Know by the band King's Kaleidoscope. Very, very, very good. I know by King's Kaleidoscope. Actually, I lied. I am listening to Adele. Oh, well, of course. This is just Adele's world, and we're all just living in it. I know. You said that about Taylor Swift. But, uh, it's true. Okay, hey, if you have iTunes, go and watch, um, because you know they have a, the Connect. You have it on your iPhone. Um, connect. And if you follow Taylor Swift, watch the interview that she has with the dude uh, that's the DJ for the Apple Beats station, um, Beats One or whatever. Um, DJ, oh, what is his name? Billy Zane or something. I don't know. Uh, that might be an actor. Um, Billy Zane, the guy from Titanic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but it's something very similar to that. I don't know Billy Zane. <laughs> uh, but she, um, she has this interview with him right before her last like huge world tour, and that's the one that iTunes sells. Like you can get Taylor Swift mm-hmm. world tour live or whatever. But her interview on that show was it's like a forty five minute interview. It's great. It is a great episode. But Adele. I bought it on CD. First album I've purchased in six years. I bought it for my, my wife and my mom. I bought it for my wife just so she could listen to something other than children's music when she's driving <laughs> the kids in the car. And my daughters are insanely in love with it. That's awesome. They she's have, so talented. They have every track memorized. And track number one and number four, like Hello and then all the others, they, Cecilia and Kateri, a four-year-old and a five-year-old, will just belt out singing as loud as our tiny little voices can these these uh verses it's hysterical it's great makes my heart happy um so i man i have one more topic dang it oh well we'll save it for some other time uh okay let's let's um it's been an hour it's been an hour i just want to talk about what we're what's coming up um we have some people that are very interesting that said that they would love to come on the show um, I think we got to get Adam on the show and just Absolutely. talk about his life because he. Like, I started he's saying, a great guy. He's a great guy. He lives the statistics that I read about. Like he's a millennial in East LA, and he told me his all the ki- all the people at his school, all the parents at his kid's school. There's not a single person his age. They're all in like their late 40s and 50s. Oh wow! Yeah, and he's like, I'm in my 30s. Like I'm in my like. He's like 31 and has a kid, and they're like, Oh my gosh, that is so cute. <laughs> and they're all like establishing their careers. So. For for I just read this line about millennials, and it's like older generations think you get a kid as you're beginning your adult life. Millennials flip that and think, no, you only have a kid when you're done with you, you know when you've been established in you've your adult stuff. life. Yeah, when you've done yeah. stuff when you have the money, and uh, it's fascinating. He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm like the only uh, uh, non gray haired person at some of these. <laughs> like he'll go to the park, and it's either dogs. People his age have dogs. They're not married. No one's married. He said he only knows two people, three people who are two people who are married, wow. and only one of them is religious. And he's um, like a, a devout Jewish guy, and they're really close. And then he took me to the devout Jewish guy's bar in East LA. It was, was a bar. It, awesome? it was a barcade. Oh yes, and uh, it was the most amazing place on the face of the earth. Like it's that expensive so as cool. hell, but uh, it was hipster paradise. It was hipster paradise. I would have loved it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, we have, we have a lot of great stuff coming up. Oh, uh, yeah. And then yeah, stuff, right? Matt Frad, who um, runs The Porn Effect, um, the porn guy, Matt Frad, he's awesome. And he, he's Australian, so he has that beautiful accent that just melts my heart like butter. Um, Rick Warren. Holy shit. <laughs> we're going to have Rick Warren famous. Like, so it's like happening? Yeah, I just got to email Steve Gladen and him, uh, or Steve Gladen, his. Um, yeah, uh, the small groups pastor. That's who I was talking to. I had this event that I went to in California, and they were brought in to talk about small groups and, and other things. And it was just it was just pretty intense about the whole small group situation. And so I was like, I would love to have you on our podcast. And he's like, Cool. And I was like, You and Rick. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, we'll definitely do it. And he's like, Do you have? A, he's like, what, What's it like? And I was like, Well, we just interviewed Shane Claiborne. And he goes, Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like something we'd love to do. A Catholic podcast show. Okay, okay. Yes. And I was like, We cuss. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that because we don't. We don't. Oh, uh, man. good times. I have so much more to talk about. Oh, it's, dude, I feel like it's happening. It's happening. It's, it's happening. happening. And you're it's selling it. You're selling, you're selling it. it. Hey, speaking of selling stuff, you should go to CatholicMatch.com. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I missed about being single? Absolutely nothing. So CatholicMatch.com. People hit um, hit hit the link. 
in our show notes. <laughs> Dear millennials not dating, you need to date. You need to do it through Catholic Match. Quit your crap. Hit the link. Get a whole new world. And, to, and, to, and if you're like, oh, I can't find a girl, stop being a wuss. And go to the gym. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Catching Foxes. I am Michael Gormley. You can find me at Lay Evangelist on Twitter. Luke is at the Luke V. You can find us on Facebook at C Foxes Podcast. And you can find us at the website, layevangelist.com slash catching foxes. And this episode is episode number 29. So Ready slash... to review on, on iTunes. I hate it, it so much. No, it no. helps people find the show. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, although no one's going to find the show after your 16-hour rant on Star Wars. I said it and I meant it. It was good. Wait, are, are you serious? I thought it was good. Yeah, no, it was good. I just thought I'd wound your ego. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Hey, you're welcome. You son of a... <laughs> All right. Bye, Luke. Bye. Bye, fans. <laughs> um, okay, what was this? Um, episode 29, we cuss a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm calling this one. Boom, save track. <laughs> How does it make you feel? Angry.